0: You are listening to a sermon podcast from Kingdom City. We pray that over the next few moments, you will be blessed, equipped, and empowered to bring the reality of God to your world.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Nice to see you all here. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. can you do me a favor and welcome everybody right now online as well. Give them a big welcome. From the Sunway Ballroom, nations all over the earth. And while we're standing, I don't know if this is your first Sunday here, but if you are, uh, the previous weeks are available there on on YouTube and you can check that all out. But uh, God is reawakening His disciples. There is no shame in going to sleep, provided you wake up. And the last couple of weeks, you could feel the shift. And uh, it's been a remarkable day all day. So thank you for joining us. I spoke about praying yourself full the first week. Spoke about choosing life the second week. And today we're reawakening something that I believe that the devil wants to kill. But he doesn't get to decide this. Because God is still in charge. He still holds things all together. And that's reawakening the gathering. Psalmist said, I was glad. Do me a favor, say, I am glad. The Psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, in today's slightly tense world, if you suggest someone should go to church, they might not say, I'm glad. They might say, I'm mad, I'm sad, or well, that's bad. But the psalmist said, I'm glad. And so today we're gonna to keep a spirit of joy as we talk. And and I don't know where you've come from and what brought you into the room. I don't know what brought you into the room online, but I know that it's not chance, it's not coincidence. And why would I speak about the fight together? Which is what I've entitled it, the fight together. The fight together. Because it is a fight, not with people, not with internet trolls it's, a, it's an internal wrestle that the last couple of years have now seen happen I found it interesting to hear that Pastor Ron said two years ago to this weekend not only did Malaysia shut down Australia shut down a lot of the countries shut down that weekend and two years later we are preaching about fighting to gather again I hope I hope that you're not here to hear me make a point. I hope you're here to allow God awaken something in you. See, routine, rhythm, diligence, and discipline might have brought you into the room, but you leave with an awareness of your why, that God has a purpose for the gathering. Far more than just meeting to sing some songs and to hear a message. And to everybody online, if you're joining us online, you're online because you're in one of four categories. You're either part of our online campus, and we love you, we welcome you. Our online campus is over a couple of thousand people from 50 different nations. Can we welcome everybody from the online campus, literally all around the world? You're either at an online campus, you're just visiting, you're just browsing, you happen to get forwarded this link. Have the courage to stay till the end and may God enrich your life. Can we welcome everybody that's visiting online as well? Maybe you're online because you're from one of our cities, but you can't get into the room. In Perth, I know there's a lot of challenge to get into the room right now, maybe in KL, maybe you're sick, maybe you're in quarantine or whatever. Maybe it's logistics, it's travel, just stuff that has stopped you from getting in the room. We are so glad you joined us as well. And we pray that you get healed, that you get resolved. And whatever it is that is holding you back, you'll be able to rejoin family very soon. And the fourth category is you are from one of our cities, but it's not that you can't come, you won't come. I'm not mad, I'm just saying we're glad you're in the room too. Whatever the reason is you made that decision, it's not because you're sick or prohibited or struggling, it's just you've made a choice in this season to do that. And uh, have the courage to stay on, try not to get offended. And all the faith in the room will help you with that, right, amen? So let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of you. We stand to honor the name that is above every other name, Jesus. We praise your name. All things. Lord, point to you. We we worship you. We stand in awe of you. Creation bows in awe of you. For the name above every name, you're worthy to be praised. Angels around the throne worship you. And today, tonight, we stand in awe of you. Fathers, your word is declared. Let it bring light and life. Let every heart be good soil. Remove every demonic distraction. Remove every digital distraction. Remove every other thing that would get in the way. Let no seed be stolen. Let no vulture eat it. Let no thorn choke it. Let no weapon prosper against it. Father, from the youngest to the oldest, from the newest visitor to the longest standing, I thank you. No one is here by accident, in the room and online. Bless your people. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Fantastic. You may be seated. When the world shut down two years ago, Shortly after that, many people began to protest. I saw pastors protest uh, genuinely for the need to gather. I was not one of those pastors, and I don't judge anyone who did. I applaud them and I celebrate them, and everybody's allowed to have their own view on that. But the reason I wasn't one of those is I wasn't, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a politician. I wasn't aware of the consequence of what we're looking at, what we're facing, and not knowing all of that, I just figured if our faith wasn't strong enough to survive a few weeks of not being able to meet, we didn't have much of a faith to begin with. So, yeah, let it ride. I also know pastors in this day, where now people are regathering and borders are opening and life is, depending on which part of you're in Perth, it's shutting down, but I know some of them who are ripping the online service off, stopping it because they feel it's not helping reawaken people from the atrophy of just hiding in their cave. And we're not doing that either because, like I said, there's a wonderful online campus, there are great people around the world who just can't and, and won't be able to get there. And so we love them. And uh, so. While I'm not in either extreme of protesting to fight to save the gathering, nor am I trying to pull it down to resuscitate anything, I do believe there's a real battle that the enemy wants to wage, which is why I'm speaking this message. After reawakening prayer and reawakening the word, reawakening the gathering may sound like an unusual topic to speak, but it is so important because this sinister attack goes beyond science, politics, medicine, even a pandemic. I don't know if you're aware, but when we gather, the Bible says God is in the midst. I don't know if you're aware, but when we gather, there's safety, there's strength, there's perspective, there's alignment. If you've ever seen one of these National Geographic videos where the lion chases the buffalo, I have a sick desire to watch that stuff sometimes. And I'm conflicted. Sometimes I'm cheering for the buffalo, sometimes I'm cheering for the lion. I don't know who I really am going for. But when you watch it, it, there's safety in the herd. But when in isolation, you're not just vulnerable, you're as good as dead. Because that enemy walks around, the Bible says like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He can't devour everybody, but only them who's isolated. you're, You're as good as gone. And so what does the enemy say? If I can keep you away, I've already got you half dead. You might say that sounds dramatic. Well God designed the gathering as the context in which discipleship happens. Community with all its imperfections is still God's plan. It's still God's plan and before sin entered the world God said it's not good for man to be alone and that was not a verse so that we all go and rush off and get married. It was the, the idea that we don't function good in isolation for a season for quarantine and for all of that yeah but you're not meant to be permanently in a space or a state and there's a sinister attack that is actually being waged not by man but by the enemy who's more real in fact you can see the power of unity in when fact, the, when the pandemic first hit two years ago, I preached from Acts 2 about three-layered revival. And the verse that I used was Acts 2, 46. And listen, listen to what it says. Every day, someone say every day? every day. Not every Sunday. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke the bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day, they continued to meet together. In the temple. You're like, didn't they have jobs? Yeah, so they'd go to the temple early in the morning. They would go to their work or do whatever they had to do. And the evenings they'd meet at home. They'd have church and connect group every day. We celebrate the early church revival. And often we want early church results. But we don't understand that they paid an early church price. A price we often won't pay. While desiring the results that they often achieved. Acts 2, they meet every day. Hebrews 10. A few years pass. And we read a verse that was preached a lot in 2020. I'm bringing it up today. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What happened between Acts 2 where they are meeting every day in the temple and every day at home. There's a revival happening and then something happens. And then by the time we get to Hebrews 10, the writer is inspired to say, guys, whatever you do, don't give up. Encourage one another. Some of you have given up meeting together. Don't do that. So what happened from meeting every day to people have stopped meeting? Persecution, pandemic, life, what happened in between? Luke 14, 16 through 24 may give us a bit of a clue. Jesus says, then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. Did you realize you can be in one accord even when it comes to making excuses? Not just one accord when it comes to waiting for the day of Pentecost. You can be one accord. You you know, you just find enough negative people and you can all be in one accord. And the context of this is... The servant would declare, my master's preparing a banquet, come. And everyone would go, yeah, lock me in. Put me in. Emoji, high thumb, take. I'll be there. And... Then, on the actual day of the banquet, because they didn't have technology, the servant would go out a second time. So really, in this parable, you have two invitations. The first invitation, the announcement of the banquet, and the second invitation on the banquet is now ready, and the servant goes out and says, come now, come now. And everyone said yes to the first invitation. But on the second invitation, the excuses came. To be honest, I've done this a fair bit. People are like, come to my house, I would have to have you over dinner. Sure, lock me in. Put it down, just tell my wife. I'll be there. My kid is having a birthday. I'm there. Can you make my daughter's wedding? I've already been yes. One hundred percent I'm in. And then the day comes. And you know, Jeremiah will say, Hey, need tonight because the- it's today. Oh no, really. Do we have to go? Oh, did I say yes? Yes, you said yes. You told everybody yes. And at the second invitation, the excuses start. What happened between Acts 2 and Hebrews 10? What happened between the first invitation and the second invitation? What happened between, I'm all in. You know, it's like from the safety of Perth over the last couple of years, occasionally I would get to talk to our pastors and people are, so sad, no church, it's gone, I can't believe it, we have met so long, it's so hard. I said, it'll be back, oh, I cannot wait, can't wait till we can have church again. And then the second invitation comes, it's on, come now. Well, actually, actually, you know, uh, actually, uh, right now, uh, it's not, the, and that's what happened in the parable. I don't know if that's what happened between Acts 2 and Acts 10, and Hebrews 10, but that's what happened in the parable. The first said to him, if we keep reading, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife. No explanation needed. It's the only one without the explanation. So I can't go. The 20, 2022 version of that is this: second invitation, it's on. Well, uh, I just uh, don't like wearing a mask so I can't come to church. I ask you to have me excused. Just have to smile underneath your mask. it'll make it a lot bit easier. You're all here, you're not the problem. Yeah. <laughs> the second one said. Actually, in this season, uh, you know, I just want to avoid people, minimize risk. So uh, ask you to have me excused. I'm just not coming. Third one said, you know, I actually have an uh, elderly mother-in-law who, who doesn't mind me going shopping, going to the mom visiting relatives and friends, but common sense is don't go to church. So I ask you to have me excused. Firstly, nobody loves their mother-in-law that much. Secondly, okay, I'm joking. Calm down, calm. Wow, we've started a fire in here. Of course everybody loves their mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law, she might be watching right now. But the point is, it doesn't really matter what the excuse is, that is what arose between the first and the second invitation, between Acts 2 and Hebrews 10. I'm talking to one of our pastors in Perth and I said, how's it going over there? He said, strange, some people don't wanna come because they don't wanna wear a mask. I said, okay. He goes, other people don't want to come because they are scared some people won't be wearing a mask. (laughs) I said, wow. Anyway, let's keep reading. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, God, in the context of the analogy, being angry. We talk about God is so loving, but he gets angry at the report of the excuses, and he says to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you've commanded, there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who gave excuses shall taste my supper. See, this is why I'm trying to suggest to us. I'm not here to judge anyone or mock anyone or anything like that. But please hear the heart of the Father in this. There is a fight for your gathering. But not everyone understands it's a fight. So that's why not everyone's fighting. And some of us are sliding down a scale and a hill. Now we're all here. Pastor, why are you talking to us? We're here. I know. But I want you to know the why behind why God's says gatherer. I want you to understand that and have a conviction around it. You know, the scripture says, I was glad when they said to me. There should be something resonating in your spirit if you are in a healthy place when another says to you, let's go to the house of the Lord. The scripture says, I was glad. Everyone say, I am glad. I was glad when they said to me. Pastor Mark, don't be so salty. Last time I checked, we have to be the salt of the earth. And apparently Jesus said, of the salt loses its saltiness. It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. <laughs> Listen, don't get mad at people. Get mad at the devil. Because there is a real fight. Let me tell you something about the fight together quickly. Number one, it's a spiritual fight. <laughs> It's, a it's not a logical fight, not a practical fight, not a common sense fight. There's a spirit of fear that is going to outlast the virus, outlast the pandemic, outlast the politicians, outlast the SOPs, outlast the agendas, outlast the Illuminati, or whoever else you believe in. It's going to outlast all of it. But the spirit of fear didn't come from God. It's spiritual. When a spirit of fear comes, it doesn't even make sense. Pastor Sean was telling me a story, a testimony of a lady when back in the few months back when we were registering for services. She didn't come, but then she, she, she got stirred to come. She, I don't know what made her click, but she clicked on her email and registered. And the minute she clicked register, she started having heart palpitations. What makes you have heart palpitations when you click that I'm coming to church? It's spiritual. It's not medical. She walked through the doors of the church and her testimony to Pastor Sean was, The moment I walked in, the heart palpitation stopped. It's not medical, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. A spirit of bitterness can creep in. Do you know what? The other thing I've noticed, not just in, not Malaysia, Australia, right across the world. Isolation has magnified offenses that we thought we dealt with. And without the alignment that the gathering brings, The isolation has caused the offense to now become bitter and a barrier. And because we're too proud to say we're offended, we come up with excuses like I bought land, I bought oxen, actually. But there's a spirit behind it because it's spiritual here's how you know it's spiritual. Do you know in our online campus globally, there are people meeting all over the world. In fact, I've got a slide picture here of people from all over the world that meaning these aren't places where we've sent a pastor, where we've got a building or where we said Kingdom City now exists. We're in 14 different countries, but in all these places, people are gathering. We're saying, we, well, there's something in built. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And people are gathering. And then in places where we exist, where there's pastors, where there's connect groups where there's buildings people are staying away it's spiritual i read recently last month in phoenix arizona in the u.s they had the largest satanic gathering largest satanic gathering they're not scared it's spiritual i don't know if you've heard the story of the chained elephant anyone heard the story of the chained elephant The young elephant, when he was born, they chained him to a pole, and he couldn't break free to to, to keep him confined. But giving up the struggle, even when he got much bigger, released to a field, he could pull that thing out without trying, and he could pull it out without knowing he pulled it out. And yet he doesn't go further than the chain would allow, because that is the nature of our mind being conditioned. And I've got Christ in me, even the everything is opening up and I'm still chained to my pole even though God has not given me a spirit of fear I mean two years ago no one had a clue what was going on now the virus is getting weaker we've all been jabbed two three four times borders open governments open everything else rules are changing and people are still bound to the chain the virus will pass but fear will remain because it's spiritual But I'm glad that today God is opening the eyes of his disciples. He's reawakening his disciples. And there will be joy by the end of this message. You will be able to look at your neighbor and say, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Secondly, it's generational. It's spiritual. It's generational. You know, if your kids see you succumb to fear, what does that do to their faith? My grandfather growing up, my father's father, he had 10 children and I hear stories of how all 10 of them went to two services a day, sometimes three. They weren't on staff. They were just Christians and grandpa had a conviction about some things. So my dad grew up with a conviction and that's how he raised us and at the age of 75 he contracted Cancer, he'd been through a six month battle, but by the absolute miracle grace of God, he's totally cancer free. But it, became, it began a journey of recovery. And the six months of recovery meant the frailty of it all for those six months and a bit longer. And after that, he had to stay home. And he loved all the online content and he devoured it all. But then around Christmas Eve, we brought him to the convention center where we had a big event. And, uh, and he came to church for the first time in eight months. And he soaked it all in, he took it all in, he's been to church his whole life. Remember his father trained the family, he trained us. And now after eight months, after the service, I remember meeting with him in the room, I said, dad, how did you find it? He said, there's nothing like being in the room. He's not an emotional person. He's a very principled person. He said, there's nothing. Nothing replaces being in the room. The devil will do whatever he can to keep you from gathering. But there's a generational grace that happens when you decide to take the example and set a godly example. And equally true and soberly true on the other side is if out of the season we succumb to the fear. See, if we view the church gathering as optional... Don't be surprised if the next generation view God as unnecessary. Why should they value what we pick and choose? And I think our kids are worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. The next generation is worth fighting for. So let's not let a mask stop us. Let's not let mindset stop us. Let's not be the person that brings excuses about oxen and land and wives. You know, tell all three to submit at least the first two, the wives, you better work it out yourself, but, only joking, I'm trying to crack some jokes, and I realized that was the wrong joke to crack, all the wives are really mad this, the good news, I can't tell by your face, it just looks so good, you all still look so beautiful, everyone say, I was glad, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, number three, it's a personal fight, this fight together, is a personal fight. It's not about church and numbers. The enemy has a target with your life in the middle. And it's part of the enemy's plan to isolate me and isolate you. Get you offended, get you upset, get you bitter, get you unhappy. You know, people say, irresponsible, you could die. And I remember saying, you're threatening me with heaven? you threatening me with heaven. <laughs> to live as Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I've done funerals as a pastor for kids, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, every decade of life, I must have done at least one funeral. And it's always sad when you lose a loved one. It's way more sad when you lose them when they're younger. But it's a huge chasm at any funeral of any age, when the family have hope as to where their loved one is gone versus the ones where there's no hope and so all of a sudden we who sing the songs, death has lost its sting. The grave has been denied. Jesus is alive and he's risen. It's either real or it's not. It's true or it's false. It's, it, it's got to count for something. And so when the enemy tries to sow this attack against you, don't allow the isolation to cause you and I to become delusional and warped and twisted and fearful. Let's go this far. I would even say gathering is the vaccine to the delusion that comes from isolation you know you you know you you can actually start to overthink things and lose your mind the mental health toll of the last two years is staggering psalm 73 we find a godly man a writer of the psalm his name is asaph a-s-a-p-h this guy is a great guy But he, in isolation, gets deluded, depressed, and he loses perspective. Let's read Psalm 73 and you'll get the idea. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, see, that's what happens in isolation. God is good to Israel, but for me, no. My foot almost slipped, I nearly lost my foothold. Now listen to his thought process. For I envied the arrogant... He's jealous of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked they have no struggles their bodies are healthy and strong see this isn't true but in isolation you start to get a warped perspective of things they are free from common burdens not true they are not plagued by human ills not true Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance, and they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. This is a man of God writing this. It's in your book. Psalm 73. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. In his mind, he's the worst. Everyone else is the best. And this is where it gets dangerous. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Wow. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments the word says his mercies are new every morning this guy in isolation is saying every morning i'm more punished it's the opposite of what the word says he's now got to the point of regretting keeping himself pure in vain i've gone to church this is how people started to think in vain i've tithed all this time in vain i've committed to all people in loving god and saying yes and in vain if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And this line sums it up. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. But then the whole psalm turns on the next line. This is his perspective. And then at verse 17, it says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Everything changed when I went back into the house of the Lord. I I had this idea that I kept my faith in vain until I went into the house of the Lord. Then I understood their end. Then I discerned their end. See, perspective comes back when you are in the company of believers. He was going down a path of absolute delusion until he came back into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And you know, who is Asaph? You've not heard of him. But he was one of David's top three chief musicians while he was king. David was known as the king with lots of worship. This is in his top three. This guy is a worship leader. And he became delusional. And the answer to his delusion wasn't more songs. It was get back into the house of the Lord. Asaph was also a seer, a prophet. In other words, he was in the worship team and the prayer team. You know, you think a worship team? Of course, they can get deluded. (laughs) No, but the prayer team. He was a prophet. He was a writer of the Psalms. He was also born into ecclesiastical responsibility, which means he was from the tribe of Levi. In in modern vernacular, he was on the worship team, he was on the prayer team, and he was raised in a Christian home. And he got deluded in isolation. And if it could happen to him, it could happen to any one of us. But he was slipping down that path until he walked into the sanctuary of the Lord. And everything got restored. Everything got restored. It's personal. And once the enemy knows that we've lost the fight to regather, he's already launched a fatal blow. And while large satanic gatherings happen in Phoenix, the church is the elephant chained to the pole, hiding in their cave. And yet we have the ones with the assurance of eternal life. But today we are reawakening disciples. But because it's spiritual, let's not argue, let's not nag, let's not win fights. Let's pray. Let's pray that we would break out of a spirit of fear. We'd root out a spirit of bitterness. Because it's generational, let's set an example for every generation. And because it's personal, let's not think this applies to someone else. You know, I... I, I'm so conscious that I believe God is raising up people with robust faith. Do you know what the word robust means? Robust faith means they've got root systems that are deep enough to survive the small things. No lalang Christians here. To all the Aussies, that means no weak Christians. Christians that will survive. Hey, you know, I heard a rumor. What, a rumor will keep you away from the house of God? Yeah, I saw a staff member, they weren't wearing a mask. That's enough to keep you away from the house of God? Actually, I did not like the sermon four weeks ago. One sermon can keep you away from the house of the Lord? I don't like the way they sing, that's enough to keep you. Oh, you heard that, that pastor there had a moral fall. That will keep you away from the house of the Lord? It's incredible how the enemy will throw everything at you. Yet I dare to dream that all around the world there's people growing root systems that are strong enough. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. We're not fighting one another. We're fighting against spiritual hosts of wickedness and it has no room to win in our lives. In the early church, between Acts 2 and Hebrews 10, what you might not be aware of is there was a pandemic, a plague of crazy proportions. And people started dying and the pagan or the heathen deserted their own loved ones because back then all they knew is you touch you die and so they left and you can't criticize the non-believer for that reaction because to the non-believer this is the closest thing they have to heaven this is the closest thing we have to hell. And so this is the closest thing you have to heaven. You do whatever you can to preserve it. And so they left their own loved ones. But the Christians, the followers, they called them the followers of the way back then. They didn't just love their loved ones who were sick. They loved the pagans. And they loved the other sick who were abandoned. And because they had no fear of death, They just went into that space and little by little there was a transformation at the grassroots level that ultimately resulted in Rome becoming a Christian nation. And without political influence, without a big budget, without buildings, without all of those things, literally a country was turned on its head because of the love of the believers, because the believers had no fear. And because of their willingness to take care, knowing that there was an eternal life promised to them, Rome becomes a Christian nation by 300 AD is the potential of what is available if every believer wakes up to the potential of God, I thank you that we can get it. They met every day together. no you know no persecution could stop them. when they were flogged and beaten they would run back to the gatherings. they wouldn't run away from the gatherings. It was this magnetic desire to say I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God is not perfect in fact it's deeply flawed because all of us are in it. This church has sinned. Well, the minute you entered, you didn't help. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if not for the grace of God, none of us have a chance. And this, this early church was kind and they were loving. And they had no fear. And a nation was turned. You know, you might be here today listening going, after I am convinced now you have convinced me but I've got a friend and they're struggling with the fight how can I help them can I can I quickly tell you this before we close this is my last point pray for them don't argue with them it's a spiritual thing don't nag the worst thing you do is nag people come on why are you so scared you're so scared just come I I mean do it your style but just do it Pastor Shirley and I can imagine you do it like that right what's wrong with you just come But if if that's... See, that's how she talks to to Chris. That's love, right? That's That's the way you show love. Correct. Just show it in your way that you show love. But listen, here's the point. Pray for people. Because it's a spiritual battle. Set an example yourself. Because it's a generational battle. And reach others. Do you notice that the master of the banquet, when the servant came and said, Hey, they said they have oxen, they have land, they have wife, can't come. He didn't say, go back to them and tell them, what kind of disciple are you? What kind of Christian are you? You said yes, now you change your mind. no. He said, he didn't even pay attention. He said, they're not even coming. Go to the highways and the byways and find the lost and the blind and the lame and the main. In other words, there are people out there who are looking. They can't see. They've lost their walk with God. There are others who are just longing for life. Go and find them. Stop twisting the arms of those bringing excuses and just pray for them, but set an example yourself and reach others. Reach others. You'll find when you go and speak to them, they will look at you and in their own way say, I was glad when you said, unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when you said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And every week what will happen is God will have his house filled. people will come and every Sunday, people are getting saved. Every Sunday, people are getting set free. I've got my head back. I've got my heart back. I've got my faith back. I've got my family back. I've got my life back. Wow. I'm like Asaph. I was going crazy. And then I came into the house of the Lord and it all starts to make sense again. This is the reason I came to bring this word. Not because you're not here. You are. I came here to realize, to shake, to stir, and to absolutely love on the fact that you are winning a fight. Keep fighting the fight. It's not about when I'm free. It's about a conviction around the fact that God has a purpose and a plan for the gathering. And more than ever, the enemy wants us scattered. And more than ever, we need to be in one accord. Not making excuses, but one accord in one place. God is a spiritual god god is a generational god god is a personal god why don't we stand to our feet because what the enemy has designed in a spiritual fight is merely a copy of the fact that god wants your spirit completely restored and renewed he wants your generations your parents your grandparents your children your grandchildren I want to pray right now that those who gather will see their household want to Christ. i a stirring my heart right now to pray for even everybody online right now. That there's a stirring that not one will be lost. 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 He's a generational God. Father, I thank you right now that not one. I want you right now to, to, to lift your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your grandparents, whatever. Father, we lift the generations to you because you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God, not one will be lost. Even though we have made foolish decisions, even though our children or our parents have made other choices, God, I thank you that you're a God of love and compassion who's, who literally fails not. And Father, we bring them to you, and I thank you that the courage of your children to gather would trigger a generational coverage that would cause none to be lost that there would be a godly example like what happened to my grandfather and father father would happen every family that would take hold of the promises of God we are standing on every promise that you've made we will see it come to pass in your name in your name father we are glad that you've said to us let's go into the house of the Lord and I pray for generational blessing generational salvation that each one in their own space at the right time would come to that place of awareness and response. And Lord I thank you for the prayers of every mom, every grandmom, every parent, every dad, every grandfather. Let the prayers of the righteous Cover generations, we pray in Jesus' name. Come on, if you can believe that for yourself, for your family, I want you right now to reach out, Father. Let this be a prophetic declaration that finds life and seed in the hearts of those who dare have faith to claim it. And Father, we thank you that on that great day, not one, not one, not one, not one, not one, not one would be lost. Not one would be lost, not one. Not one, even the one that seems too hard to find, not one would be lost. God, not one, Lord, you'd reach them. You'd reach them in the valley. You'd reach them in the mountain. you reach them in the high point. you reach them in the low point. Not one would be lost in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Everyone said?
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you very much, so much, that He died on the cross for all of your sins that stood between you and God. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, all you need to do is to repeat this prayer. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I'm not right with you, and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if God has done anything in your life because of this podcast, we would love to know. Email us at, testimony at kingdomcity.com.